What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. You know, there were a lot of things in life and leadership I knew I could fudge on and knew I could maybe miss on a little bit, but I could get it right later. But there is one thing in life and leadership I knew I needed to get right, and that was being a parent. And that's what we're going to talk about today on episode 158 of Lynch with a Leader. Man, thank you so much for joining me. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and and truly... I love being on this journey with each of you, helping you and helping myself be the best we can be. And today we get to sit down with the one and only Andy Stanley. Andy, uh, you know, as the pastor of North Point Community Church, he's written the phenomenal book, Irresistible. He's written Next Generation Leader, Guardrails, Visioneering, Enemies of the Heart, But I think his best one is the one he's just released with his wife, Sandra, called Parenting, Getting It Right. And one of the reasons I love it is I've gotten to watch Andy parent. He and Sandra have done a phenomenal job raising their three kids, Andrew, uh, Garrett, and Allie. And now they're all grown adults. They're all married. I got to see them. Uh, Andy and I met when our kids were 10, when Garrett and Casey were 10. And so we met, established a friendship, and I've gotten to watch from a distance in a lot of ways and up close in a lot of ways how they've done it and how they've done it right. And now they've put it into a book to help you and to help me. I tell you what, I've already recommended this book to so many parents, especially those that have toddlers at home or young ones at home, and they're trying. They're like, Mike, I don't want to screw this up. You don't want to screw it up. We have a, we have a, uh, a kick-out date, right, on parenting. Even though we'll always parent, our greatest influence is during those early years, and this is a classic episode. This is one you'll go back and listen to two or three times just to glean some of Andy and Sandra's wisdom. So I don't know where you're listening from today, but I hope it's somewhere you can write. I hope it's somewhere you can put some things down on paper because you are in for a treat. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Andy and Sandra Stanley about parenting and getting it right. Well, Andy and Sandra, thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you both. Well, well thank you yeah, for having us. It's great to see you as we were just chatting. It's been too long. So thanks for thanks for hosting us. Did you ever dream when you were in the thick of parenting in the elementary and middle school and high school years? Did you ever dream that you were getting it right? Did you feel sometimes <laughs> like we're, we're really screwing this thing up? How yeah, was yeah. that? I think I think every parent thinks that at some point. Yeah. Like, oh no, yeah, this is we've we've messed it up. There's no return. And the the thing is, of all the things in the world you want to get right, this is the one 
you want to get right. Yeah, right. you feel like you can fix your marriage maybe later. You can fix your career. You can, you know, try to save more money, you know, as if, it, if you had to save. But parenting, it is sowing and reaping. One shot. Yeah, you get the one shot. <laughs> so, yeah, we every parent wonders, am I getting it right? That's right. It's the weirdest thing, too, because I met you guys. I think Casey and Garrett were 10 when you and I met, Andy, at yep. a Canton baseball field. Yep. What do you wish you would have known then that you know perspective-wise now? What would you say? That's a great question. Yeah, that's a good question. I think for me, looking back, especially in those early years, I I just have a natural tendency to value efficiency. Mm. That's just kind of how I'm wired. And what I learned along the way um, was it relationship and efficiency? They, those two things really don't go well nope. together. There's no such thing as an efficient <laughs> relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really value efficiency. So there were times that I feel like I had I had been so efficient. You know, everybody's backpacks packed. Everybody's got their faces clean. And, you know, I march them out. Everybody's in the in the car. We're headed out. But there was, you know, like a hardly any eye contact and a whiplash hug. Mm. And, you know, that's just not the win. That yeah. is not the win. So I think if I could say something to early Sandra in the early parenting years, it would be just relax. Don't mm. feel like you've got to be so efficient. Yeah, Relationships if, are not efficient. If you want to feel sorry for our kids, for those of you familiar with Enneagram, we're both Enneagram ones. <laughs> we are. So it looks oh, like nobody even lives in our house, no. you know? So... To raise kids in that environment, we 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 had to make a big effort yeah. to not um, lean into all that. Yeah, I bet you did. And as you live this out, and you got into it, and now you get on the other side of it, what made you want to go back and write about it? What made you want to go back and write a book like this? Because it is so good. But yet you sort of you sort of let us behind the curtain a little bit, the goods and the bads, the uglies of it. What led yeah. you guys to write it? Well, it's a little scary to think of writing a book because what it insinuates is we know everything about parenting. We've got this. You just need to read our book and you're going to just have great kids. And the truth of it is we are we're not perfect parents. We did not and do not have perfect kids. But our goal wasn't to raise perfect kids. Our mm. goal was to raise kids that we could have that we would have a great relationship with on the other side of the parenting journey. So that's really what motivated us to write it. We got to this season and realized we have kids that we love. If we met our kids, if we didn't know them and we met them, we'd want to be friends with them. Mm -hmm. And so we thought there'd been a few little things we've learned along the way. We'll, we'll, um, we'll just throw it out there and see if it's helpful for somebody else. And Mike, you've heard me say this before, but and you're, you feel the same way. Whenever we're teaching leaders or teaching people anything, our goal is never to fill their cup because I can't fill anybody's cup. Right. Our goal is to empty ours, right? So this is our opportunity. And we felt like it was really a responsibility to say, here's all we know about that. Here's what we've learned. Take this and add to it with other other leaders, other uh, resources. Uh, other resources. But the other thing that drove it is our kids are all adults. They're all married. We have a first grandchild. And what we determined early on as the win for parenting or the it, as we refer to it, the subtitle of the book, getting it right. And the focus of the subtitle is the it is we feel like we are experiencing the rewards and the benefits of having chosen the correct it and then tailoring our parenting toward it. 
And the it, as Sandra said, our, our goal was that our children would want to be with each other and want to be with us when they no longer had to be, that they would enjoy being with us and enjoy being with each other when they were old enough and no longer had to be. And neither of us, believe it or not, are wired in such a way that that would have normally or naturally been our it. If it had, if it had been left up to me, I would have parented toward compliance yep. and obedience and rule following because we're both As rule followers. Like, yeah. That's right. But early on, I saw something in Sanders family that stood in pretty sharp contrast to my family of origin. And I wanted it. Sandra didn't even notice it because it was so natural. Well, I knew. Yeah. And basically it was that her family, the five of them loved to be together as adults or by that time that her brother was in college and she and her uh, sister were out. Um, they loved being together. And when one of the five of them wasn't there and the other four were there, they would always call the fifth person and say, where are you? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. You're not with us. We're eating grandmama's biscuits and you're missing out, you know, just <laughs> kind of persecute each other. Whoever wasn't there was, yep. was, um, and I, you know. you know, as I watched that, it was a little intimidating and I thought, that's it. What, whatever you call that, I, I want to get to where her parents are and for th- our family to feel like this. So, um, in the book, we challenge parents, you got to choose an it because you're yep. parenting in a direction, whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. And and direction determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. So and as and like you, Mike, we spent a lot of years working with high schoolers and yep. high school parents. And we've all seen lots of different parenting models. And we saw a lot of parents that never chosen it. They just dealt with the circumstances and dealt with the current chaos and the whirlwind that goes along with raising kids. So early on, we decided this is our North Star. This is our true North. This is our win. This is our it and did our best to parent that direction. direction. And, And that's such a great statement because the winds blow against you. And especially those elementary, middle, high school seasons and even into college when everything's pushing against that, that you kept that North Star was a huge deal because there were times I'm sure you never felt like you would get there. It's like, I know what we're shooting for, but I don't feel like we're going to get there. What kept you going that direction, even when it wasn't easy? What would y'all say? Well, I think part of it was we saw the alternatives and they weren't good. Right. Mm, We had 10 years in student ministry, as he said. So so we really did see the gamut. of. I mean, some parents would parent toward don't ruin my reputation in the community or don't embarrass me in public or um, you've got to make a team or you got to fulfill my dream on Broadway because mama didn't make it. But, you know, honey, I know you're going to make it. You see all of that stuff. And. None, you know, even when it works out, even when it works out professionally, we just saw the relationships go in such wonky directions. We thought to, to or to say it sometimes the way we say it in the book to, to raise perfectly behaved kids who don't want to come home. That's not a win yeah. that's to, right. to raise kids who get an extraordinary education, but don't ever want to come home and be with their parents or with each other. That's not the win. So I, I think because of what we saw, and then we saw some extraordinary parenting models in those years as yep. well. And we would call those parents and say, let us take you to lunch. Yeah, yeah. We, have, we have questions. Yeah. To tell us, tell yeah. us how you did this. Yep. But to your question, you know, when you're in the thick of parenting, you really feel like this is my life. So me, yeah. you know, I was at home with our kids for those years and there were days that I just, you know, you're wiping everything, you're 
taking everybody everywhere you're driving. It's just the monotony of the everyday as a mom. And I thought, gosh, this is my life. And, and it's hard to get your head around the fact that this is actually a really short season mm, of my life. Mm. And there's going to be hopefully a whole bunch of life on the other side with adult children. And I think that um, you know, as we as we began figuring that out and as we get, began parenting toward our it, we realized there really is going to be something on the other side of yep. this. And we want to parent toward that. So keeping our eye on that on that ball, I think, was what sustained us through some of those some of those harder seasons that you mentioned. And the way we stayed in the book is later is longer, later yeah. is longer. And believe it or not, especially if you got little kids or even middle school kids, you're going to have more years probably with adult children than you have with any of the seasons leading up. I mean, elementary school goes pretty quick. Middle school goes pretty quick. High school was a blink, Blur. wasn't it? Yep. And then even college was like a blink. And now we're in this uh, season where we have adult kids. So it, you're going to get there. But what you do between now and then determines what then looks like, determines what later looks like, and later is probably going to be longer. It's one of the greatest principles I've ever seen put on paper. So funny, Ann and I were talking about it because we're pretty much pretty close in the same seasons of life. And it's so neat that that template you guys put it on paper for people to go while they're still in the the chance to make a difference. They have something now to guide them. You made a statement in the book, and I thought it was so good. Your children do not have the same relationship with you that you have with them. What does that mean? And why is that statement so critical? Well, I'm glad you brought it up, Mike. I think it is a governing principle. It took me, it took all of us a while. It takes all of us a while to figure this out. But the earlier, and this is why I wanted to put this in the book, the earlier a parent can recognize this principle and hang on to it and keep it front and center, the better. And here's what it means. You're in a relationship with your children. It's not the same relationship and it will never be the same relationship. Mm. Um, we know that when they're babies, because when they're babies, we have a relationship with a baby, but it's a completely different relationship. This child is 100% dependent on me and I'm 100% responsible. So I've got all the responsibility. They have all the dependency. As they get older and as they get taller, at some point when you're looking eye to eye with a middle schooler or high schooler, it begins to feel like I'm in a relationship with my child and it's the same relationship. It's never the same relationship. Mm. As a parent, you are always holding all the cards. That one idea should govern how we talk, the words we choose, the time we choose, how we discipline, the rules we set. And so we say in the book, stay in your parent seat. You, God has given you a seat. Sit in it. Don't get out of it. The minute you stand up and, and relinquish, I'm the parent and you're not, you confuse your children, you confuse communication, and things just go sideways. So you're in a relationship with your children. It is not the same relationship. Anybody who's listening or watching who is a manager at work or a boss or has employees, it's the same thing. That's you're right. in a relationship with your employees. It's not at all the same relationship. Again, you're holding all the cards. Well, the same is true at home. And in the early years, it's easy to remember that. But in the later years, it gets confusing. And so that's one of the, the main principles in the book. That was a fan. And you brought up an illustration of Garrett. And you you, you had a moment where Garrett didn't like something. And he <laughs> let the wall know that he was not a fan <laughs> of a decision. And that is a great, we listen, we've all lived that, right? Yeah. 
my son was a quiet, he was a quiet obstinate. He wasn't going to punch a hole in a wall, but I'm sure the things he said would have peeled paint behind the scenes. <laughs> you made a, you made a great, you made a great statement though. He didn't hate me. He hated no. So mm-hmm. sitting in the parent seat, yep. how did you know that Andy in the moment? Well, yeah. Cause it feels like he hates you. That's right. She hates mom. Right. It just feels that way. Um, I think part of it was those, a lot of those years in student ministry, talking to so many parents who had some, you know, rough seasons or rough years with kids and just, and in ministry, you you realize, and not to be critical of our kids, but when our kids are teenagers, they're, they don't have frontal lobe development. Their, their brains haven't even fully developed. So what they say and how they say it and the tone they choose and their temperament kind of taking things to one extreme or the other, they're so introverted, they won't even talk at all, or they're so extroverted. It's like, can we just hit the pause button for a minute? You know, everything is so extreme. Just understanding that and deciding, you know what, I can't take this personally. Mm. But you know what, even if they do hate me in the moment, in this moment, that is okay, because the goal is not to be liked. The win is not to be liked. The win is not for them to be my buddy. The win is to stay in my parent seat as difficult as it is, as it is, and as tempted as I am to get up and sort of get in their face to stay in my parent seat, because that is the surest way to ensure that in the longest season, we can experience the friendship years because I refuse to try to be their friend in those adolescent years and too early, but it's not easy as you know. No, it is not for the faint of heart. And you guys begin, I love how you break down the stages of parenting. And Sandra, I wanted to ask you, so that zero to five, you call them the discipline years where you strengthen your child's obedience muscle, the multiple reps, the appropriate consequences. Here's the crazy part. You guys were building a church during all this. You were, <laughs> y'all were, we're, we, I think we were a year or two behind you guys. We're, you're, you're in the model of trying to grow something but Sandra, you had a front row seat at home to those early years. Why is it so huge? We get this first stage right, those discipline years. Why is it so important for parents to get those first years right? Well, that first season is so important. This is this is the season, the discipline season is the season when your kids are beginning to learn and understand that there are consequences for their actions. Mm-hmm. And it's the season where the stakes are the lowest. Because usually it's, you know, about a toy or, you know, just a a simple disobedience um, issue. And so if they can learn early while the stakes are low, it's going to serve them so well in the later season. But this discipline season, you know, for us, we disciplined for three things during the season. We disciplined for dishonesty, disobedience, and disrespect. Those were kind of our three things that we took seriously because children in this season are childish. You know, children are childish. That's what they are. That's what they do. And we can kind of, you know, guide them and coach them and sort of get them through their childish stuff. But the three Ds were the things that we decided we would focus on. And those three things were super important as it, as they transitioned to the next, yep. to the next seasons. And the reason they're important is because all three of those things are related to relationships. When, when our children are disobedient, when they're dishonest, when they're disrespectful, there is a relationship, there's a recipient of that. And so there's a relationship that's broken. And we wanted to begin early 
literally teaching our kids how to have healthy relationships. So we started parenting with the relationship in mind. And that was that season that was foundational for that. That is really good. Andy, was it hard for you during those early years trying to build the church and diving in on this piece of it? What Was that a yeah, difficult thing yeah. for you? Well, you started organization before you started a church before there the work never ends you're never done right you you go to sleep but you know that's about it's it's always there and so you know early on uh, we sort of had a a point where something had to change i mean she's at home with two and diapers and pregnant and i'm i'm at work all the time and trying to meet people after work and you know how all that stuff goes and so we one night we had a conversation i finally said sandra just tell me if everything's on the table, nothing's off limits. What do you need from me? What, what can I do? Just tell me, mm -hmm. don't hold back. Don't try to be sensitive. You know, don't try to be the martyr mom. Just yep. what, what, tell me. And I and I don't know that I can do it, but I, at least I need to know what it is. And she said, if you could be home every afternoon at four 30, that would make a huge difference. You know, the kids are going to bed by seven 30. So, Hey, if you want to go back to work at seven 30, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. But four 30 to seven 30. That was kind of the, the really difficult yeah. yep. time. The morning was fine. Then you have lunch and naps and all that. And then when they get up, it was that next three hour mm. window that was yeah. rough. So yeah. I said, um, okay, I'll do that. And I went to work and I had, I think five staff members at the time. I said, I know supposedly I'm the captain of the ship, but I'm going to be the first one off in the afternoon. Our, the different staff members had different age kids than ours. I said, I'm, I'm going to be home every day at 4:30, and so what that meant was people would call and say, "Hey, um, I need we need to get together. Can you meet me at 5:30?" I'm like, "Yep, 5:30 a.m. I'm there, but not 5:30 in the afternoon." He could yep. be gone as early as he yeah, wanted yeah. to. It's just that yeah, the so, hour. And so, and and you know, you heard me talk about this before, Mike. But and I don't recommend this, but this is just what I did because you know we were it was crunch time. I I prayed. I said, Lord. I can only give you about 40 hours a week right now to build this church. So whatever you can do with my 40 hours, I will be content with that because I know you don't want me to sacrifice my family on the altar of building a church. I'm a preacher's kid. I, I My parents did it right. My dad didn't. My parents did not sacrifice our family on the altar of the church mm -hmm. with the heat. I always felt like my sister and I always felt like we were the priority over work. And we both, you know, you and I both seen what happens when pastors get that wrong. Right. And I just didn't want that as part of my future. So that's the decision we made. We stuck with it. Um, the other thing we did, we categorically just said no to some things. We called it no for now, but not forever. No for now, but not forever. Here are some things we're just, it's not because Thursday isn't available. It's because we don't ever do that. We don't participate in that. During this season. During this yeah. season. Right. I didn't travel for about eight or nine, really almost 10 years. I didn't just go off and do a bunch of stuff. I just, hey, this is this is the priority. So um, those were fundamental decisions. They were driven by our desire to have relational integrity with our kids and with each other. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it paid off. Yeah. What did Sandra, Andy, as you sat and watched Sandra parent during those years, what did she do well that played into <laughs> who your kids are now? Everything. <laughs> Right. She, yeah. Well, great she, answer. That is a great <laughs> answer. She, you know, I mean, she was, she is, and was just a great mom. We, right. I say, you know, we say we homeschooled. No, wasn't we? It was she. We, not me. We, me. We didn't homeschool. Um, we homeschooled Andrew all the way through to his freshman year of high school. Put him in high school. Put our other two kids in a private school. They all went to public high school. That was our goal. 
Um, so those homeschooling years, she was on top of all that and everything else. She's very organized, very efficient. She's way smarter than me. Um, so I, she just, mm-hmm. you know, she was, she was amazing. And I just tried to facilitate um, what happened at home. And again, every family's different, right? There are lots of single parent homes. Yep. Both of our fathers were raised in, by their mothers in single mm-hmm. parent homes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know, they're, Many women are in the workforce. I mean, I'm surrounded by extraordinarily competent women, so I'm all for women having careers. So this isn't an either or kind of thing. But the you know she had the opportunity to work at home or to to to, to spend those hours with those kids, and so you know that was what she chose to do, and I certainly supported that. And that's she awesome. Was amazing. Well, in in those years are so big. And they do go quick. And then they move so quick right next into the training years, that five to 12. What's so critical about those years for parents? Well, training years are so important because this is where the kids really begin to understand the why behind the what Mm, we're kind of explaining while we're training. And Andy and I talk about this all the time. We played games with our kids during these years. Every everything we wanted them to learn, we practiced like crazy. We turned it into a game. Um, But the training years really are those years where they're beginning to be able to reason so we can reason with them. We can explain things. And it's it's the year it's the really the heavy lifting of of the parenting years i think um so it's super important for us to to not skip over that phase or not try to try to pull back too early or keep disciplining hard and, and fast too late and mike you you and i coach baseball so you, you saw this like i did and it's a good illustration you and i saw dads who showed up at the game and yelled at their sons for not doing well and you and i knew you don't practice with your son at home that's you, right. You you expect your son to perform, but you've not prepared your son to perform. Well, this is true of everything with their children. So we watch parents expect their children to know how to behave in a restaurant, know how to behave in public, know how to greet someone. And when they don't, they, you know, they get on their kids publicly. And I think you you're not training. You, you're yeah. expecting a performance without any practice. So we literally we practice welcoming people at the door. We practice walking up to a table, sitting down, and let's do it again. And and because they were young, those early training years, everything's a game and everything is fun. But you have to do it early. Sandra has a funny saying about well, that. Well, you know, during the training years when they're 5 to 12 years old or really the early part of that, everything is fun and nothing is dumb. But they mm-hmm. hit like 12, 13, 14 and beyond and everything is dumb and nothing is fun. That's right. So taking advantage of those years while things are fun and while they want to spend time with you during those training years, your kids want to be with you. Yep. And they're going to be busy later in the next season. So you want to want to strike while you can yeah. and and, um, and that is so big. If you, it's the funniest thing. If you wait, it just gets harder. And oh, you can't, gosh. I remember showing up at my daughter's middle school to speak, do an assembly, and she hid behind a pole when I walked <laughs> by. My own daughter is just hiding. <laughs> but if you have waited till that stage, yeah. It's too yeah. late. And what yeah. I love is how you've That's systematically funny. broken up these stages because then you move into the coaching years. And this is mm-hmm. so good. I love how you got to set it. You connect more than you correct. That is gold. What does that mean to a parent to connect more than correct? 
Well, in this coaching season, we really do step back where it's like they're in the game and we're on the sidelines and we're kind of coaching along and we're, we're watching them try to implement the things that we laid, you know, that we put into them during those training years. So when we step back a little bit, we're allowing them to feel some of the, some of the natural consequences when things happen or when they make a poor choice. Um, and what we want to focus on more than anything is connecting with our kids. And, and there were a number of different things that we did. Part of it was just being, you know, being available, being present, having conversations, being students of our kids. There's so much to being student for our kids, students of our kids. And we're living in a time right now with Enneagram and temperament testing and love languages and, you know, all the different things. It's never been easier to be a student of yep. your child. And to tailor those coaching right. yeah, to those different temperaments. Cause as you know, kids are, you know, the, the parent who thinks, well, I'm going to treat them all the same. You're, yeah, you're going to connect with one, but not the rest. Cause that's you're right. going to connect with the one that's just like you, but not, yeah. not the others. And yeah. And it's so important to be connecting with them because as they are making some independent decisions, they're going to hit some walls. They're going to have some hard things happen and you want them to turn to you when those mm. things happen. And if you've been connecting with them, that's the advantage. Yeah. They turn to you and that's what you want. And you want to do that before they leave your home. You don't, you know, you want them to do, um, to have some experiences and turn to you while they're still there and before they head off and are completely independent. So those coaching years are just so important. And you hit something so good. Now, and I would love to hear your perspectives on this because I think every coach deals with it. Every CEO deals with it. Every leader deals with it. And that's failure. Why is it so critical during these coaching years that you let your kids fail mm. and you don't intercede and you don't jump in and you don't protect, but you let them feel failure? Why is that such a big deal? Because that's real life. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And in the, and, and th there's so much that could be said about this. I'll try to keep it short. There's a difference between failing and being a failure. That's good. There's a difference between failing and feeling like a failure. So the best thing that could happen while our kids are still under our influence is for them to fail at something, succeed the failure, survive the failure, and figure something else out or get back at it and succeed at it. Because the worst thing that can happen is to fail and to back off and to give up and to to brand, you know, to brand ourselves as a failure or mm -hmm. I tried that mm -hmm. once. And so but that's never going to that's not going to happen if we're always rushing in and, and bailing them out, bailing them out, saving the day. I when I was 16, I got pulled over and got a traffic ticket. And I remember getting home thinking my dad was going to yell, scream, be mad, you know, not that he really didn't ever do that. But I was just expecting yeah. the worst. And he said, well, uh, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. He said, well, let me see the ticket. And I handed it to me. He turned it over. He said, well, here are the instructions right there and handed it back to me. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, oh, okay. That you failed. It's on you. If you need me, let me know. But this, this is, you know, handle it. Well, mm -hmm. that's what you do in the coaching years. You, you're on the sidelines. You're, you know, and when they fail, you Andy was so much better at this than I was, Mike. He would, he could do this. I wanted to turn over the ticket and go, okay, yeah. here's the number. Let's call. Right now. Let's see what we need to do. And, it, you know, I, I just had a harder time with the whole, with the don't bail, let them fail. But I learned early. I mean, I learned quick. This is so much better because I want them to know how to do stuff when they're not with me. And, and yeah. I would have a tendency to, you know, want to hold their hand. When they're 17. Well, and, and, you're doing the, and I love that, Sandra, because when you get that right, you're doing them a favor for later. 
You can't really feel are. it then. I heard a college no. baseball coach say on a podcast the other day, he's the incredible coach. He said, what I wish parents would learn during those high school years is that they would train their kids to love them more, but depend on them less. Mm. Hmm. And I love That's even good. your illustration, Andy, that you, your dad lets you just go figure it out. I mean, yeah. there, there, there it is. It and is. now you get right. the, you get to reap the benefits the friendship years. And that's where your kids are. I yeah. know yeah. two of your three kids. I got to watch Garrett grow up playing ball and being around him at different events. I got to meet Allie when I was over speaking at her church in Alabama, when she was interning, oh, yeah. working for free, like we all train people to do in ministry. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's, what's the biggest blessing of the friendship years? You've parented towards it. Now you're reaping the benefits of it. What's the biggest blessing to you guys of these years you're in right now? I think the biggest blessing is watching your children choose each other. When there were seasons of life when they did not even like each other. Yep. You know, we had, they would kill each other. Yes. Just all the normal things. Yep. And watching them as adults now choose each other just brings a joy like no other mm, joy. Yep. And, you know, I, I really think it's part of the part of the image of God in us, because I think as he watches us relate to each other, nothing brings him more joy. We, we know that from all that Jesus taught, nothing brings him more joy than us serving each other and loving each other and having our relationships right. And, and so watching our children love each other has been huge. And we had a, we had a situation just this weekend, um, Andrew's wife's grandmother passed away mm. and they were in Cartersville, Georgia, which is just about an hour away. And, um, we, Andy and I, of course, were going to the service and Garrett and Danielle decided they wanted to go to the service too. They hardly even knew her, but they had met her maybe once. And but just and to really just, support Andrew really yeah. was just about supporting Andrew and Anna. So in this season of life, watching them choose each other, want to support each other, wanting to show up for each other, there is just no greater joy, at least in my mom heart than that it's just it's huge and i think it's the same it's the same for andy but it's again what's the win what's the it what's the, what's the finish line what's the i'm so glad we did it and again early on because of what i saw we decided our it is we are going to parent toward set rules according to discipline according to the relationship. So disciplining in our home, we disciplined toward relationship restitution. And once the relationship was fixed, then we're done. We don't, we're not on restriction for two weeks and take away everything in your room. We, we, we almost never did any of that. It was always what relationship was broken because of what you did. How do we fix the relationship? Now we're done. If you need to make restitution, if you need an apology, letters, whatever, we just, again, because the goal wasn't punishment and the goal wasn't to feel for them to feel like to feel terrible about themselves. The goal is, Hey, every rule is connected to a person on the other side of every rule is a person that could possibly be hurt or damaged or disrespected. And so when you break a rule, we find out who was hurt and we make restitution. Mm -hmm. So everything was, you know, in the direction of our, it, which was relationship wholeness. So, yeah. and, and, and health, but all those, again, all those things become a little bit clearer once a parent determines what's the win, That's what's right. the it. And so every parent needs to determine an it. Again, uh, if you don't, the, as we talked about, the whirlwind is just going to keep things so stirred up. You're just going to be reacting, reacting, reacting all the time. Through the day. Yeah. Get yep. through the day, yeah. You know, my, fi my final question of today is this. You, here you are at this place. You were super intentional. Kids don't just begin to follow Christ because you pastored a church 
or y'all have <laughs> a Bible at sure. your home or, yeah. but you guys really helped your children drop the anchor of their own faith. And you tell some stories in the book about how you poured gas on things that you would see, whether it was buying a, a Tim Tebow book because they loved athletics or buying yeah. them journals with mm-hmm. color coded things. Mm-hmm. What would be your biggest thing you would tell parents about helping their kids follow Jesus and letting it be theirs, not the parents' faith, but their own faith. What would y'all say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we did a whole chapter on spiritual formation for that very reason. We wanted our kids to own their faith. We didn't want it to be just, this is what mom and dad do. We didn't want it to be something for them that rested on tradition. So they're going to go to church on Easter and, you know, Christmas. And um, so we really did. There were a handful of things that we worked on. Um, One of the things, though, is just helping them learn to have a devotional life and Mm -hmm. have a quiet time. Um, And and what we decided early on is there are three things we can do to help with that. We can model it, we can encourage it, and we can make it easy. So modeling it, you know, are your kids seeing you with your Bible on your lap? Are you on your knees praying? Um, Modeling it, uh, encouraging it, you know, figuring out how they're wired and, and helping them figure out their time of day that's best. All of those things, just encouraging them to do that, encouraging them to make it part of the rhythm of their day. And then making it easy every Easter to what you just shared every Easter. Um, I just made Easter basket, the opportunity to give them quiet time tools. We always made sure in every season of life that they had an age appropriate Bible. Mm. Um, and again, you know, a biography autobiographies by sports, you know, different athletes were, were huge, but we just always made sure we were making it easy for our kids. We, we showed them how to do it. We encouraged it. And then we gave, made sure they had all the equipment yeah. and, and, um, and resources that they needed to do that. And and, and really modeling it was huge. They've always seen both of us in the mornings having our alone time. They've the seen us have a being a small group because we yep. host a small group in our home Monday night. Y'all stay up there and be quiet. We're doing small group. Yep. So they saw us practice these things. But in the book, one of the things we did, like you know, every Christian parent, we did like a whole bunch of stuff to try to help them develop a faith of their own. But we talked to our kids and asked them, what left a mark? What do you remember? Mm-hmm. What made a difference? And so in the book, we talk mm-hmm. about the five things that they actually remembered and would say, oh yeah, that, that actually helped all that other stuff you did. We don't remember much <laughs> of that because you're as a parent, There's so many things. you're kind of yeah. making it up as you go yep, along. And right. again, every, you know, some of our kids love to read, some don't love to read, you know, there's, they're mm-hmm. all different. Um, so we talk a lot about that. And also at the end of the book, it, um, I t- mentioned briefly to parents, what do you do when you feel like your kids are losing their faith or they're walking away from faith or stepping away from faith? Because that's obviously a reality as well. And so um, we try to speak into that some as well. Now that you hold your grandbaby and you look into to those eyes that you never dreamed would be here, are you glad you did what you did? Are you glad you parented the way that you parented? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And watching Allie parent so far. I mean, it's only been eight weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so but that's, that. that's when you know. That's, <laughs> that when, you know. that's when you know. Yeah. 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 As I read Andy and Sandra's book, it was so funny because it caused me to reflect a lot on parenting. Our kids are around the same age. And, you know, just to look back at how fast it went. And I'm so thankful 
even as Andy and Sandra talked about their parenting North Star of growing up to have a relationship with their kids, that we now have a great relationship with our kids. Was it perfect along the way? Oh, no, 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 no. Did it always go great around the house? Oh, no, 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 no. But but parenting with the end goal made all the difference in the world. And I'm just so thankful Andy and Sandra were so diligent to put it down on paper so they could help you and they could help me and they could help so many others be the best that they could be. This is one you want to order. This is one you want to get. Dads, you need to read this book. Moms, you need to read this book. This is this is a good one. And I am so thankful for people like Andy and Sandra who sort of pull back the curtains a little bit and say, let me tell you our best. Let me tell you our worst. Let me tell you what we're thankful we did. So I think you're you're going to enjoy the book. If you haven't read it yet, I know you enjoyed the podcast with them, but I know you'll enjoy the book. If this podcast is adding value to your life and leadership, please push pause and go leave a rating or review. It does help so many others find their way to us. Well, our next episode, we keep swinging for the fences in 2023. We get to sit down with Pastor Chris Hodges about his new book on prayer. I've got a good friend that attends Pastor Chris's church in Alabama and he is raved about this book. So I can't wait to dive into prayer with Pastor Chris Hodges. It's going to be a special, special episode. Well, thanks again for joining today. Now, go be the leaders that you were created to be at work and at home. And let's make a difference in 2023. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.